Welcome to Historically Inaccurate, Wholesome Heritage Moments with Megs, where I delve into some of Canada's most interesting pieces of history and culture. Here you'll get to hear your favorite stories, usually extended cuts from my TikTok, Megs Reads Good, with extra little tidbits of information along with my lukewarm takes. Today we're going to delve into the history of Matthew Goodband, so grab your favorite snack and settle in because I have feelings. Just a quick heads up before we get into this week's episode, we are going to be talking about Matthew Good, and if you know anything about him, we're probably going to be swearing a little bit, and we're going to be talking about a little uh, hot water he got himself into last year, which uh, involves talking about uh, sexual abuse as well as um, some mental health issues. So if you are uncomfortable with these topics or you are listening around young children or people who might be uncomfortable with these topics, please just know that that's what we're going to be getting into. Matthew Good had begun his career in folk music as a singer for the band Rochester Kings. The band gained some success after being discovered at an open mic night at SFU. They actually ended up winning a competition from 99.3 The Fox, with part of the prize being studio time. After recording a few demo tapes, they signed a publishing deal with EMI, but broke up after their 1995 tour. The dissolution of Rochester Kings left Matt without a band, and so Matthew Goodband was formed as a trio with Ian Brown and Jeff Lloyd. Dave Genn was originally part of the band as a session musician. Together, they recorded their first full-length studio album, Last of the Ghetto Astronauts. The name of the album was taken from a song off their 1994 demo, which was actually a Rochester Kings demo, 15 Hours on a September Thursday. It had two singles on it, Alabama Motel Room and Symbolistic White Walls. The first 5,000 copies of Astronauts were actually released under the band name MGB, When Alabama motel rooms started receiving significant airplay, people began requesting the song from the Matthew Good Band, which may or may not be due to a Vancouver radio station calling them that first. The album garnered success across Canada and was certified gold in 2003. After the release of Astronauts, Dave officially joined the band. In 1996, the band signed a two-album deal with Private Music, which merged with BMG Entertainment shortly after, halting the production of their second album. They were eventually released from their contract after being paid out for the two albums, and they decided to release their next album without label support, only to then sign a distribution deal with Polygram Group Canada. 1997 proved to be a big year for the band. With the label ordeal behind them, they released their EP, Ray Gun, followed up by their second full-length studio album, Underdogs. Ray Gun was distributed by A&M Records under Matt's own imprint, Darktown, and included a re-recorded version of Haven't Slept in Years from Astronauts. Underdogs was recorded at Greenhouse Studios in Burnaby, BC, and, according to Matt, cost $100,000 to produce which is huge considering their first album only cost around $5,000 to produce. Underdogs is one of the band's most commercially successful albums, earning them a nomination for Best Rock Album at the 1999 Junos and achieving double platinum status in Canada. In 2000, Chart Magazine released a poll that named Underdogs the 18th greatest Canadian album of all time. It was also the last album to feature the band's founding bassist, Jeff, before he left the band and was replaced by Rich Prisk. In 1999, the band did their second Edgefest tour, this time hitting the main stage and released their third full-length album, Beautiful Midnight. 
Beautiful Midnight is undoubtedly Matt Goodband's most commercially successful album. I remember this album being everywhere. In fact, I had a friend who was so obsessed with Matt Goodband that he managed to persuade someone to drive him to Future Shop during our lunch break while we were in high school to buy the album only to get back to school and find out that his Discman's batteries were dead. I very nobly gave him the batteries from my Discman. He was grateful. Beautiful Midnight debuted at number one on the Canadian Albums Chart, selling around 25,000 units in its first week. In 2016, the album was certified triple platinum. Between 1996 and 2016, Beautiful Midnight was among the top 20 best-selling albums by a Canadian band in Canada. And while successful in Canada, the album did not have the same level of success in the States, due in part to Matt's reported reluctance to engage with media and the music industry in the U.S., Even in Canada, Matt's interactions with the media while promoting the album were allegedly very unpleasant. When later asked if he had heard the story about him sabotaging the chance for Beautiful Midnight to succeed, Matt told Vice, I didn't hear it. I did it. When I went to the press junkets in New York and Los Angeles, I was just treated like a piece of shit by the media. Because let's face it, had I been English and come to America with multi-platinum records under my belt, there's no way in hell I would have been treated that way. But because I was Canadian and I stood up for myself when people came into the room with attitude and I gave it right back to them, yeah, didn't fly. I had to be so fucking happy just to be in their presence that it wasn't even funny. And I wasn't willing to do that. He says that the media he deals with now are the ones who have been following him for 20 years, and they're chill. He only really plays border towns if he tours the U.S. because there's little money to be made anywhere else, save for Phoenix, where he apparently sells out shows. He hates playing L.A. because they all have an attitude. Are you sensing a theme here? They try to be cool in L.A., apparently. The album ended up earning the band Junos for Best Group and Best Rock Album, and when three of the four members showed up to the Junos, Matt was in California and claimed he couldn't attend, but it's also no secret that he hates the Junos and absolutely everything that they stand for. Of course, this sparked even more rumors that the band was on the outs. Matthew Good has been nominated for 20 Junos over the course of his career and has won four of those. Maybe they should just stop nominating him. In 2000, the band entered the studio to work on their next album, and it was around this time that it was even more evident that there was tension among the members. A lot of that was due to Matt's annoyance with the band members wanting a say on the albums. They wanted to contribute. They wanted credit. And Matt wanted to do what Matt wanted to do. He believes that this was the band being ultra-political. I think a lot of people would consider it people wanting credit for their contributions. He's openly said that with exception to Jeff, who he has a soft spot for apparently, he wasn't friends with any of them. To quote, the last thing we ever were was friends. Hell no. This was also the year of the great Canadian shoe-throwing incident as dubbed by Chart Attack. The band was playing Regina's annual Buffalo Days Festival. It was a free show with a massive, unruly crowd. According to a witness, about three-quarters of the way through the show, someone hit Matt in the mouth with a shoe. He finished the song and walked off the stage. The crowd cheered, thinking they were getting an encore. They weren't. Dave walked back out on the stage and said something along the lines of, "'Throwing a shoe at the singer won't get you an encore.'" He walked off the stage as the people chanted, "'Fuck MG! Fuck MG!' 
Rumor had it that the radio station, The Wolf, had banned Matt's catalog from ever being played after he swore on their broadcast. They denied it, but they seem to have made amends by presenting Matt's performance in Regina this past May. My favorite comment on the Facebook announcement? All shoes must be checked at the door. The following year, they released their EP, Loser Anthems, which was limited to a 35,000 copy run. It debuted at number six on the Canadian Albums chart, selling almost a third of the allotted copies in its first week. They had one single off the album, Flashdance 2. They followed up the EP release with a summer tour, which saw Dave quitting the band that August. He returned four days later, and they would go on to release their fourth and final studio album that fall. The Audio of Being is allegedly not Matt's favorite album, as he claims it was far away from what he had envisioned. Despite this, the album was certified gold in 2003. It saw the release of only two singles, Carmelina and Antipop, although Antipop was not originally recorded for the album and came to fruition at the bequest of the label. A month after the release of The Audio of Being, Dave left the band again. This time, for good. He wasn't alone in his departure, though. Ian had also left, and in February of 2002, Universal Music confirmed the band had broken up. Now, in a 2009 interview, Matt claimed that he had decided the band was done after he no longer wanted to placate the needs of other band members and that no one wanted to do a supporting tour for the record release. 2002 also saw the rise of Matt's feud with Nickelback, having called them the carbon copy of Stained and Creed in a Chart Attack interview. Chad Kroger then fired back in a Rolling Stone interview. When asked who he hated, Chad answered, without hesitation, Matthew Good. The interviewer was puzzled and asked who? Chad's response, exactly. He followed up with, he's a Canadian artist who sells hundreds of thousands of records in Canada but couldn't sell shit in America. And since his fellow Canadian band went down to America and worked their asses off and did sell records, he thought it'd be okay to take some cheap shots at us. It's pathetic. Once you come to America and sell a million records in two months, suddenly you're a bad guy. A Creed ripoff. Seeing a prime opportunity, the interviewer continued prodding, asking Chad if this was going to end in violence. Chad took the bait, answering with, well, I'm from Alberta, and he's a city kid, right? And I don't know how city kids deal with things, but when you talk shit about somebody from a small town, they find you in a back alley and they deal with the situation. They beat the living piss out of you and then laugh at you the next day when you're seen around town all marked up. That's, that's cute, Chad. When later asked about the hostility from Chad, Matt said he didn't understand it. He wished them all the success and luck possible. So what happened after Matthew Goodman broke up? Well, founding bass player Jeff Floyd sadly passed away in 2010. Articles that were written about his passing mentioned that he had his own struggles prior to him passing away. Richard had gone on to tour with Matt on his solo act until 2005. He also unfortunately passed away in 2020 from a heart attack. Ian, well, you know we're going to get to Matt, and that it's going to be a deep dive. So all I'll say is that Ian sticks around for a bit. He also has his own band, Loose Fang. Dave, after leaving the band, Dave joined iconic Canadian band 5440 in 2003. He's also written and produced for a number of other bands like Mariana's Trench, Faber Drive, Social Code, and um, Headley. But Matt. Let's talk about Matt. 
Matt released his first solo album, Avalanche, in 2003. The album featured the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra on several tracks and secured a Juno nomination for producer Warren Livesey. I probably did not say that right, I apologize, and a win for Video of the Year for Weapon. Matt followed this up with its 2004 release of White Light Rock and Roll Review, which saw the return of Matthew Goodband bassist Richard Prisk. And in 2005, he released his third solo album, In a Coma, which he supported with a pared-down acoustic tour. The final two shows of the tour were cancelled due to what Matt later explained was a nervous breakdown. Matt had intended on spending several months in Europe writing a book, but only a few days into the trip, he had what he described as the absolute worst manic episode while visiting friends in England. Matt returned home and moved in with his parents. It was there, while attempting to cope with a manic episode, Matt overdosed on anxiety medication. One minute he was in the shower, the next minute he was in the hospital. While he was hospitalized for the overdose, he was diagnosed with type 2 bipolar disorder. He said that receiving his diagnosis gave him a lot of clarity. 2007's hospital music was a result of Matt's week-long stay in the hospital, as well as dealing with his addiction to Ativan and learning about his bipolar diagnosis. He said about the album, There are people who just write BS music about BS topics. You can do that, or you can talk about your life. I decided to write about who I really am because it took me so long to discover. It was around this time that Matt's first marriage was ending. After suffering from depression and severe anxiety his whole life, anxiety so severe he said he'd have anxiety attacks that would knock him unconscious, his divorce pushed him to a breaking point, which is an awful lot for anyone to deal with, especially Canada's favorite asshole. I read a Vice interview where they asked Matt if he thought his bipolar disorder was the reason for his asshole behavior at times. Matt told a story about how a reporter at the Toronto Sun had tried to get him going and ended up writing that Matt was kind of an asshole. So Matt thought it would be funny to get some cheap black tees and have Matt Good as kind of an asshole written on them for their St. Catherine's show. The tees sold out. The label saw an opportunity to make money. It became a thing. There's even a scene in the Future's X-rated video where someone is holding a sign that says, I hear Matt Good's a real asshole. He does admit to being a dick sometimes, and does attribute that to being undiagnosed bipolar. He said that throughout the band's time together, from age 20 to 34, he never drank or touched drugs, even though everyone else was. And because he was the only sober one, he would just work. He didn't sleep, he didn't eat, he just smoked too much and worked. If you grew up with Matt Goodband like I did, then you probably remember the rumors that Matt was a drug addict. Cocaine, heroin, those were the rumors. He says this is where those rumors came from. He was only 145 pounds from cycling and putting in 18-hour days. He looked gaunt. But, I mean, gaunt was cool back then. Then, in his mid-30s, he started suffering mania and depression simultaneously. He stopped functioning as a human being. Hospital Music was his first number one album since Beautiful Midnight, and while inspired by his experiences towards the end of 2006 and the beginning of 2007, it was also heavily influenced by his close proximity to the downtown east side. The album was his first self-produced venture, which he recorded in his work-live space in Gastown. In the summer of 2008, Matt released Vancouver under Universal Music. He also released the album for free to stream on his website in a bid to make his music as accessible as possible. Which is interesting considering I read an article where he ranted about streaming and how artists aren't compensated in the same way they were when we had to buy albums. 
but I digress. Vancouver ended up winning Matt his second Juno for Rock Album of the Year, which we know did not matter to him. Lights of Endangered Species followed in 2011, this time seeing Matt reunited with former Matthew Good band drummer Ian Brown during the supporting tour. Two years later, Arrows of Desire was released and Chaotic Neutral followed in 2015. Chaotic Neutral is apparently a reference to Dungeons and Dragons, which Matt played for years. Until he was almost 30. Unexpected? I know. But also the fact that it got him interested in cartography? Even more unexpected. 2016 saw I Miss New Wave Beautiful Midnight Revisited a full re-release of Matthew Goodband's Beautiful Midnight, followed up by Something Like a Storm. This was the album that saw Matt putting his feud with Our Lady Peace behind him. He once called OLP a manufactured studio creation, and embarking on a joint tour with them. It was on this tour that Matt collapsed during a performance in Edmonton due to pneumonia and was rushed to the hospital. In 2019, Matt went on his first solo tour across Canada since 2007. The following year, he released Moving Walls, which was heavily inspired by the time he moved in with his parents during his divorce, prior to the release of Hospital Music. During that time, his dad had dementia and terminal cancer. Last year, 2021, Matt's career hit a brick wall when his former girlfriend, Haley Mather, accused him of being a serial abuser, cheating on her throughout the relationship, as well as lying and manipulating her. Matt and Haley had dated for three years and were engaged for six months. His second marriage ended in 2017. Haley said that Matt had sexually coerced, groomed, and emotionally and mentally abused her. She also claimed that there were 25 other women who had stories about Matt. He denied the allegations on his social accounts, which would be later deleted and still don't exist. Matt was subsequently dropped from Warner Music amidst the allegations. There was a huge uproar about it in February of 2021 with Haley's initial post and then crickets. I also don't recommend reading anything that's been posted about her on Reddit because it is absolutely vile. This didn't stop Matt from touring, and he caught heat in the media again when he made a comment during a show in Nanaimo that those who believe they are living in tyranny in Canada should be put on a plane and sent to the Congo where 14-year-olds with AK-47s can fire at them. People, of course, interpreted this as Matt talking about the unvaccinated, but he later explained that he wasn't referring to the unvaccinated or the vaccinated. He believes in bodily autonomy, but that people who think they're living under a tyrannical government need a perspective check by being sent to a country where actual tyranny exists. And as much as I side-eye a lot of what Matt does and says, he's not wrong on the fact that perspective for some people in Canada is greatly lacking. Matt was once asked if he looked at the 1990s Canrock heyday with nostalgia. His response? Do I look at that period with nostalgia? I don't see how any Canadian in music couldn't. You had Canadian bands headlining their own arena tours. The support for Canadian music was through the roof. It was great. You can't really call it a renaissance, but something special happened, and it was great to be a part of. At least I can agree with Matt on that. Thanks for hanging out with me as we explored the history of Matthew Goodband and dove a little bit into uh, Matt Good. Until next time, thank you for being here. I appreciate you. You are the best. See you later.